0: We're well, going to turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark chapter or Matthew, sorry, chapter seven. Matthew chapter seven. As we continue our series on text taken out of context, I realize this is probably going to be an ongoing series. More and more, keep popping up in my mind as we go through. Uh, certainly, today we'll see, judge not, lest you be judged. But certainly, chapter seven twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is one taken out of context as well. Uh, there's plenty of passages that we will not be able to get to. So I will get to Jeremiah 29, 11. Maybe I will deal with spiritual gifts. Uh, but uh, certainly today, we're going to deal with judge not, lest you be judged. So Matthew chapter 7, we're going to read verses 1 through 6. We're going to look at this section of the Sermon on the Mount. So verses 1 through 6, Matthew 7. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? Do not consider the plank in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Amen. Well, let us pray. Christ, we are thankful that you are the just judge who shall come again to judge the, uh, the, the world, shall judge the living and the dead. And we're thankful, O oh God, that we, your people, those in Christ, go to that judgment already covered uh, in Christ's blood, already clothed in his righteousness. For we know, O oh God, in our own ways, in our own righteousness, we would fall short. And we know that all have fallen short of the glory of God. That's why we need a righteousness apart from the law, a righteousness that is not our own, a righteousness that comes through the work of Christ. Thank you for his active obedience. Thank you for his perfect law-keeping. Thank you that he is the one who is righteous in every way. And we know, oh God, even as we read your word, even as we read the scriptures, and especially as we read your law, we know that it drives us to the, uh, to the, the foot of the cross. It drives us to our Christ, for we greatly need him day by day. We need him for salvation, we need him for justification, we need him for sanctification, and we need him for preservation as we walk this world. And so we ask, oh God, in our sanctification, in our Christian walk, we pray that you would strengthen your people, that you give us better illumination from on high with what we see here. For, oh God, we know that we need faith, and we know that we need faith that seeks understanding, especially as we come uh, to what you say in your revealed word. So we pray, oh God, you'd give us illumination by your spirit. Teach us what you wish to teach us in your word. Thank you that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and really is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. So we ask, O oh God, that you train us in righteousness now, but may we do so as we look to our Christ. May we have our eyes fixed upon him and we pray, oh God, again, that you forgive us for our hypocrisy. And we pray, oh God, if there are any here today who do not know you, we pray, oh God, that you would prick upon their hearts the reality of coming judgment, and may they flee the judgment to come in the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. So work in them by your spirit, work in them, we pray, and we pray, oh God, in all things you would be glorified. So we ask you be with us now by your spirit, we pray, in the name of Christ, amen. So it's probably no surprise you've heard people say, perhaps to you, or perhaps you've heard people say it to other people, you shouldn't be so judgy. Christians shouldn't be so judgmental. Christians shouldn't be so uh, concerned with the lives of other people. And the reality is there is a passage that says that judge not verse one, that you be not judged. But if we read the context, if we see what is going on, it doesn't mean we can never make any sort of value judgment. It doesn't mean we can't make any sort of assessment concerning sin or assessment Concerning doctrine. Usually, when people say you shouldn't be so judgmental, it's usually with respect to perhaps some sort of doctrine that they don't like. If people are so concerned with doctrine, or perhaps when they are caught in their own sin, you just shouldn't be so judgmental with me because I have this sin I want to keep doing. So don't be so judgy. But what's interesting is that they're engaging in judgment when they say such things. And I think to people to cling to that idea of judge not. I think misses even the point of the entire context, which is what we see in verses one through six. He's not saying we can't make any value judgments. He's focusing in on a specific value judgment that we see in verses one through six. That really is the problem that we can glean from this text, hypocrisy and harsh condemnation. That's what he's saying here. When he says, judge not the problem is when we concern ourselves with specs concern ourselves with dust while failing to see the giant logs in our own eyes it's the problem of pharisaism the problem of majoring in the minor the problem of losing one's mind over liberty issues while failing to recognize the major sins in our own life and the major sins in other people's life so often we focus on the minor things rather than the major things That's why God commands us when dealing with other people, when dealing with sins, to be gracious, to be humble, but also be discerning when rebuke is needed. And so often we do not discern when to withhold judgment or when to withhold uh, what to say and when to say it or whether we should be saying certain things or not. So we are commanded to judge not we must see what that means so that's what we see judge not lest you be judged but let's unpack what that means in verses one through six and we'll do this under three headings this morning first of all the charge against judgment verses one and two secondly the speck of judgment verses three through five and then lastly the time of judgment verse six so the charge against judgment verses one and two the speck of judgment verses three through five and lastly, the time of judgment, verse 6. So let's first look at the charge against judgment in verses 1 and 2. And obviously, this is in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' great body of doctrine that we see in Matthew's gospel. Certainly, there is a Luke in parallel as well. But we see in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 through 25, we see a summary statement concerning the mission of our Lord. A summary statement concerning his ministry in in this world. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. So we see there what he does. He preaches and he teaches. So chapters five through seven gives us the teaching aspect of what Jesus does. And chapters eight through nine give us the healing aspect of what Jesus does. So chapters five through seven of the Sermon on the Mount deals with doctrine, deals with kingdom character and kingdom conduct. Now the thesis or the main point is centered around five seventeen through 20. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill then verse 20 of chapter 5, I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. That is an inclusio with 712, where he says, therefore, whatever you want men uh, men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So he's unpacking as the true Moses, as the one to whom Moses pointed to what the law means, what it signifies. What it always had meant, I and mean, he really what he's trying to do is teach us how God's people ought to live. But most uh, most of what he does here is also to drive us to our Christ, drive us to the cross, because we fail when we read everything in the Sermon on the Mount. And so he's dealing with kingdom conduct, uh, especially in chapter seven, with respect to judgment. And in verse uh, chapter six, he just said, "Don't be worried." Uh, don't, Don't worry. Don't be worried. Don't worry about the day. Don't worry about tomorrow. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We only have so much time in this world. We have a lot of problems in this world, and we must focus in on the big problems of this world and not be so enamored with the small things of this world. That's what the Pharisees did. They were so enamored with the small things of this world that they engaged in harsh condemnation Harsh judgment against those who, uh, whom they look down upon. And so when we come and see verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. This has nothing to do with the idea of people can't make an assessment concerning one's sin. Uh, This has nothing to do with whether or not one can understand doctrine and make an assessment concerning doctrine. doesn't mean we can't rebuke, and it doesn't mean we can't correct. In Titus 1, when he's talking about what a pastor must do, he must be ready to give instruction in sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. So there's going to be conflict. There's going to be times of rebuke. There's going to be times that we have to deal with sin and heterodoxy. Uh, among amongst God's people so what is it then that he is saying here I think the intention of the word and the intention of the context is harsh condemnation again that idea of majoring in the minor again not saying we can never make any sort of assessments but we must not be harsh or condemning in an unbecoming way the problem is rashness the problem is seeing a glimpse into someone's life and making a character assessment upon them. We all do this, right? You know, an ounce, of inform- or a pound, or an ounce of information leads to a pound of presumption. We think we know everybody's life. We think we know everything. We think we understand it all. and We think we can make assessments that way. We think we're the arbiter of everybody's truth in their life. We are, you know, we are inherently pharisaical, all of us. We judge the Pharisee, but the reason we judge the Pharisee is because, well, unfortunately, we're very pharisaical and hypocritical ourselves. And so what he is doing here is dealing with that very thing. And so as we go through this text, you shouldn't be thinking about the person across the pew. You shouldn't be thinking about the person in another church. We must examine ourselves as we go through this passage. And hopefully as we go through every passage, we're examining ourselves as we unpack the sacred pages of Scripture. You see, so often we see other people with minute things. They didn't wash their hands. Oh dear! And sometimes we make eternal state assessments. They didn't wash their hands. They're going to hell. Or perhaps other things. They watched a movie that was rated G. Oh dear! What in the world are they going to do with their lives? Or perhaps sometimes we and we question those things. Someone, or perhaps we even question. Someone had a glass of wine at home when nobody was watching. Oh dear. They're probably you know the spawn of Satan for doing such things, Or dear me, women wore pants. Oh I, for the life of me, oh dear, women wearing pants in church that they bought at guess what? A woman 's clothing store that's perfectly OK. You see, the reality is we all have these shibboleths that we you know, judge other people based upon our own preferences. I know I 'm being sarcastic, I know I 'm sounding harsh. But it's really to highlight, we all have these types of things. And Jesus is being sarcastic here as well. So I have no problem being sarcastic in the pulpit when our Lord is sarcastic in the pulpit. I should be careful, but, you know, our Lord certainly does it. I'm not Jesus, but we can still do it every once in a while. Do you see the point? We shouldn't be so rash and judgmental. We shouldn't be so rash and harsh. Again, we shouldn't major in those minor things. And notice what he says, judge not that you be not judged. The reason is you will face just as harsh a judgment. He unpacks this in verse two. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And all the commentators point out you'll be judged both by men and by God. And the idea is that if you're sour and judgmental and overbearing and concerned with everything in everybody's life, don't be surprised if people are sour, judgmental, and overbearing with you. I'm not trying to be all karma here, but there's an element of 712, right? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, did you catch that? Whatever you want men to do to you not how they actually treat you. Whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. If we treat people kindly, treat people graciously, treat uh, treat people with humility, hopefully there is some humility that people give back. Hopefully, if we treat people and seek the forgiveness from them when they, we are overbearing and judgmental and sour and harsh with them, hopefully they recognize that and say, hey, wow, okay, they, they're not so judgmental and holding that against you. But if we're not gonna be forgiving, if we're not gonna be humble, if we're not gonna be kind, should we really expect it from other people? So we will receive judgment from men, but also we can receive judgment from God. Now, not necessarily eternal condemnation. Although certainly those who are not in Christ shall be repaid according to their works. That is they're repaid according to the deeds they failed in and righteously. So that's why we need Christ who is our righteousness, who forgives us for all of our sins. And we are clothed in his righteousness. That's the gospel, isn't it? A righteousness, not our own Christ who lived, died, and rose again, believing upon him. And we find our mercy and hope in him. Otherwise with what judgment you judge you shall be judged. But perhaps interestingly, in time and space, God is so very ironic in his judgments. Listen to Gil. So the woman suspected of adultery, she adorned herself to commit sin, and God dishonored her. She exposed herself to iniquity. God therefore stripped her naked. The same part of her body in which her sin begun, her punishment did Samson walked after his eyes, and therefore the Philistines plucked out his eyes. Absalom was lifted up in his mind with his hair, and therefore he was hanged by it. And because he lay with his father's ten concubines, they therefore pierced him with ten lances. And because he stole away three hearts, the heart of his father, the heart of the Sanhedrin, and the heart of Israel, therefore he was thrust with three darts. And so it is with respect to good things." Sometimes the way in which God humbles his people is by exposing the very things that we judge other people in, showing us that we are not as strong as we think we are, showing us that we are much weaker than we think we are, showing us how much we need him. And brethren, sometimes you ought to praise God for those moments in our life as he protects us and humbles us and brings us low. And certainly God does that in time and space. As we grumble and whine and complain as we have good friends who tell us such things and especially as we have the word that reminds us that we are but nothing and we need him day by day but certainly judgment can come and the language of measurement there perhaps does have the idea of divine retribution an image of a measuring cup shall be measured back to you so judge not that you be not judged and so certainly that application is clear judge not but what does that mean and we ought, to, ought not, ought to, uh, we ought not to be harsh and condemning and overbearing, but rather gracious and uh, forgiving. And again, not saying we don't deal with sin. I'm not saying that. Please understand. I'm not saying you just let everything slide. I'm not saying that. But we must be gracious because we like to let things slide for us, but we don't like to let everything slide for other people. And certainly in Luke's account of this section, he talks about forgiveness. Forgive others that you may be forgiven. And so certainly as Jesus is talking in, or the emphasis of Matthew, is the tendency of the Pharisees, the tendency of Jews who followed the Pharisees to be pharisaical, to be concerned with hand washing rather than one's own heart. I love what John Chrysostom says. And by the way, what's interesting is this judge not that's taken out of context in our time, but was taken out of context in John's time. And it was taken out of context in J.C. Ryle, John Charles Ryle's time. So a lot of John's and a lot of similar sins that we struggle with and similar texts taken out of context. Well, it's been a problem throughout the centuries. But Chrysostom says if they see him but partaking rather largely of food, They become bitter accusers while they themselves are daily drinking to the excess and surfeiting. I actually think that's the other way around today, isn't it? We're so easy to judge people who drink even a little bit while we, you know, smow down nachos and we don't have a care in the world with all the nachos that we eat. Certainly there is that. He goes on to say, not knowing that besides their own sins, they do hereby gather up for themselves a flame and deprive themselves of every plea. Rather, we ought to judge not, but ought to be gracious and kind and patient and recognizing that we've been forgiven with a great forgiveness. And when we do make assessments, we must do so with humility. So that's the charge against judgment. Let's then look secondly at the speck of judgment, verses 3 through 5. Jesus goes on to illustrate this from his time as a carpenter. He uses the language of dust versus log. And so notice what he says, verse three. Why do you look at the speck or the dust in your brother's eye? but not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your own eye, uh, from your eye? and uh, And look, a plank is in your own eye. This is the point and the problem. Dealing with minutia and having a cow or a meltdown over said minute, tiny details without seeing the logs, without seeing the problems. There's some humor here in, with our Lord, isn't there? Someone walking around, remember Pastor Butler preached on this and he's actually preaching on it tonight. So still come to church tonight, but you can listen to that after church It's probably going to be better than what I say today. But in any case, I remember Pastor Butler preaching on this going, yeah, can imagine walking around with a giant log and you're hitting everything and smacking into people. You know, you look like a weirdo. You look like an idiot. You're just walking around with that thing protruding from your eye while you're trying to see the speck in your brother's eye. There's irony. There's humor. And usually the humor in scripture is teaching us something very serious. And certainly the serious thing we're being taught here is hypocrisy. The problem of it. Verse 5. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Again, okay, that's the problem of the Pharisees, the problem of their self-righteousness, the problem of their own righteousness based on man-made laws that nobody can keep. That's why it's important to understand the place of God's law, the Ten Commandments. What's interesting is when people rail against the Ten Commandments, you know, uh, uh, you know uh, 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 the, the God's law, the moral law, usually they eventually replace that with something else. And usually they replace that with man's laws and laws that are harder to keep based on their own preferences. That's why it's so important that the doctrine of Christian liberty is so important. That's why it's important for us to distinguish between convictions and preferences, right? To understand we all have our own preferences that are not necessarily sinful in and of themselves that other people might not like. We all have them. We all think of them. We all ponder them. I have a certain way I think you should all exercise, but I recognize that there are many different ways to exercise, right? I mean, you can go for a jog, you can go for a run, go do martial arts, do whatever you want. You know, that's a preference. There are things that drive me nuts that I have to recognize are preferences, right? You have them, I have them, but we must recognize that they're not necessarily convictions. Convictions are based upon The truth based upon things that are essential, based on things that certainly matter. We must all have discernment with what our preferences really are. Because the Pharisees certainly did not. I mean, they committed huge sins, didn't they? He's going to deal with this in Matthew 15 and Matthew 23, whitewashed tombs the way in which they hurt people, the way in which they killed, they killed the Lord of glory. Even in Matthew 15, with money given to the temple. Oh, it's Corbin. They say they don't want to care for their ailing, aging parents because they want want to say, oh, they want the money for themselves, basically is what is going on there. They want to keep the money for themselves rather than care for their parents. They're selfish. We all have selfish streaks in us. That's why we need the mercy of God to help us not be so... Selfish. And I know a couple weeks ago I ripped on the importance of membership in the church. Please know brother I stand by what I said membership is very important I perhaps understand I was a little grouchy about it. Brethren, I think when I get salty, I think I need a break, so I'm a little salty, and forgive me for being salty. Again, I stand by what I said, but, you know, perhaps not in the way I said it, but in any case, I do think membership is still important. I understand people need some time in the church to to wait it out and all that sort of stuff, but I stand even by what I said about what members should do. Four things, right? Devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. Giving, which I think is what fellowship is. they certainly meeting together is good too. Certainly devoting or uh, breaking bread, the Lord's Supper and prayer. That's it. Here's what a member is supposed to do. That, those four things. That's all a member is supposed to be. So often in our modern serve everywhere type of churches, we feel like we have to be involved in every single thing. And brother, this is where sometimes we can major in the minor. Sometimes people can be so focused on serving in the church they neglect those basic things. They can be so focused on serving in the church, they forget their families. That is their first ministry. I would rather have someone who serves his family day by day, who works hard for his family day by day, but doesn't come to something because he's caring for his family. But one who is still faithful on the Lord's Day, faithful at the gatherings, faithful as he's able to be, rather than someone who's involved in a million things, neglecting the basics and neglecting his family. Even, brethren, we look for a minister, we look for someone who is gifted, who who already does the basic things, who is faithful where they ought to be. Be. There are some, again, we all have blinders. We all have things that we don't see, and we need God to expose those things for us. And certainly, if not, the blind will lead the blind. Luke 6. I think I told you the story about how I got converted. I was asked to teach or be part of a small group for young guys. And as I was leading and helping with these young guys, I realized I didn't know a thing. So I started reading the Bible and God saved me through that. So I praise God in an unconventional backwards type of way that he saved me. But brethren, there is no way I should have been serving that way. There is no way I should have been teaching. There is no way I should have been with those young guys. They had someone who's more seasoned in said type of way. It really was the blind leading the blind. Unfortunately, we don't think this way, but it can happen. If the blind lead the blind, they're going to fall into a ditch. Um, so yeah, we have to be careful, but there is still, uh, we have to be, uh, uh, examine our own hearts, but there is still a place of judgment. Verse five, first remove the plank from your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So there's still a place to deal with certain things, but we must see our own failures. First of all, in verses 15 through 20, he's going to talk about false prophets. We have to make a value judgment about what the prophet is saying. Like we see, saw in Deuteronomy 13. If, they're say, if they, something comes to pass and they say, let's serve other gods, you have to make a value judgment and understand that that is wrong and not go in a said way. That's why it's not wrong to deal with doctrinal problems. We love doctrine. We love truth. We love the body of doctrine. Even in Jude, what's the whole point of Jude to contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. Truth is important. We are sanctified by the truth, as our Lord says. Your word is truth. What is eternal life? That we might know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Doctrine is important. Doctrine is blessed. Doctrine ought to stir our hearts unto worship. Yes, it can puff up, but we still must recognize that even all of doctrine is baby talk, but recognize, and that shows how small our minds really are but recognize that doctrine is blessed and good for us and we must be careful with it so it's important to deal with things to deal with issues to deal with problems but make sure we see the logs in our own eyes first then perhaps we can see the speck a little bit more clearly and so really what we should see here brethren is we must examine ourselves we must Consider our preferences, consider our issues, discern what is an actual sin, what is an actual preference. It's important to examine our own lives, remember our own faults, and remember the grace we have received. Isn't God gracious to us and long-suffering with us? And aren't there many other people, too, who are gracious and long-suffering with us, but we, we don't give it to other people? Again, we think everybody should be patient with us, but we're not patient with everybody else. I think everybody needs to give way to me when I'm driving on the road, but I don't want to give way to everybody else because they're going too slow. We don't want to do such things. We are so focused on ourselves. Thanks be to God for the Lord Jesus Christ. And what's interesting too is sometimes the people who say don't judge in that judgmental kind of way is they usually like to say the church is full of hypocrites. They're right. I'm a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. But guess what? Christ has forgiven my hypocrisy. We ought not to be hypocrites, dear brethren. We ought not to be. But so often we are. And there's mercy and forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ for our own hypocrisy. That's why even still, even, and if we are God's people, if we understand the place of Matthew 18, if someone calls us out, you know what you say? Forgive me. You know what you say? I'm sorry. If it's a legit Actual sin or problem, you say, Lord, I'm or say to your friend, I'm sorry for doing such things. Most of the time, it's like, well, what do you mean? Most of the time, I didn't do that. Most of the time, we're quick to have our defenses up. In reality, we should be more kind and gracious, which I'm a hypocrite here. I antennas usually go up for me, but God is good, God is gracious, God is kind. We must remember that, even in Matthew 18, dear brethren. Even when it comes to church discipline, even when someone engages in scandalous sin, even though we have to deal with it, there must still be a time period that we give them to have a hopefully that they repent, a time that they can seek forgiveness, not just, you know, again, I use this often. Monday, they've sinned. Monday, you go to them and say, you sin. Tuesday, you bring a friend. They sin or they still don't listen. Thursday, Wednesday, you bring the church. And then Friday, they're excommunicated. That's not how it's supposed to be patience graciousness yes deal with it if it's impenitent and persistent, but we still must be gracious gracious and give people time. And by the way, even when people do need to be called out, there probably needs to be some discernment about who does said calling out. Because perhaps you must consider what is the relationship, consider what is the problem. It might not be prudent if someone sees a sin, certainly if it's against you, it might not be prudent for a certain person to go, rather than think about someone who is closer with them to go and do said rebuking. Just like as a pastor who's been given authority, I can say certain things, and I can speak with more authority than someone else might be able to parent to a child an older person to a younger person uh i didn't understand that first part by the way i thought pastor butler can say all these things can't i be can't i say other things to people and i would rail and throw down with people older than me when i was not a pastor and you know didn't have that level of authority that way i would you know get mad at people and want to throw down all the time don't do that young young lads aspiring to the ministry do not do that do not do what i did okay do as i do as i say not as i did Just listen, just pay attention, just grow, be gracious and humble. You don't know everything, and I don't know everything. So we must examine our own hearts and be gracious and humble. So that's the speck of judgment. Let's then look thirdly and finally at the time of judgment, verse 6. This is a delicate thing for people, isn't it? Verse 6. Here's what comes from the lips of our Lord. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Clearly, this verse indicates there is a time for judgment. And discernment is important when we consider who is a dog and who is swine. I mean, the Lord isn't, you know, shying away from calling certain people such language. And, the re- and he's highlighting specific types of people here. So perhaps what he's doing here when he says holy and pearls Perhaps what he's referring to here is the words of the gospel. Blessed doctrine, blessed truth, what is treasure, what is holy, what is set apart, what is good. The language of holy probably has some allusion back to Exodus, referring to the priests who've been set apart. And so we understand that what God has given in Christ, what God has given in his word, what God has given in the gospel is holy. What God has given in the gospel is a pearl of great price. And so what he says here to his disciples is there's some people, you must make a value judgment concerning, you must discern not to cast pearls before swine, not to bring, uh, to, to give what is holy to the dogs. Now, dogs here typically does not refer to, you know, man's best friend. They refer to things that were unholy. Things that would want to tear you apart, as he says there. And certainly pigs were unclean as, well, a dog is a wicked person in Psalm 22. Uh, Paul called the Judaizers dogs in Philippians chapter 3. And so Jesus does the same here as well. The point is, it's unthinkable. Why would you do it? Why would you cast your pearls amongst swine? There are some people that cannot be reasoned with. There are some people we must discern, and perhaps the language of swine and dog here highlights an incurable ungodliness, an unchaste life, someone who you don't want to waste your time speaking to. That's interesting, isn't it? That's an interesting phrase and saying, isn't it, from our Lord, but we have to make those assessments. In Titus chapter 3, when there's divisive men, Two charges and then they're gone. Men who came and tried to take and devour widows, ones who are preaching and teaching false doctrine, you have to make value judgments. And on the flip side, when you're looking for a pastor, when you're looking for someone to be an elder in the church of Jesus Christ, you have to make value judgments. That's why we're cautious, that's why we're patient, that's why we look for certain things. Because we don't want to have a Titus 3 situation. There must be humility. There must be grace. There must be time involved. Franz says God's gifts are not to be laid open to abuse or his truth to mockery. I think Gill sums up what is going on here very well. He says the phrase is used in a metaphorical sense and is generally understood of not delivering or communicating the holy word of God and the truths of the gospel comparable to pearls or the ordinances of it to persons notoriously vile and sinful to men who being violent and furious persecutors and impudent blasphemers are compared to dogs or to such who are uh, scandalously vile, impure in their lives and conversations, and therefore are compared to swine. Now in time and space, I think this is hard to determine, isn't it? That's why we need wisdom And discernment. What's interesting, I think there's actually an example in Acts seven. We saw in Acts two, Peter holds out the gospel, doesn't he, to those who killed the Lord of glory, and many believe. But in Acts seven, with Stephen, when Stephen is on trial and he's explaining who the true Israel is and explaining who the true temple is in the Lord Jesus Christ, he he drives to the point where he says, "You stiff-necked." people. You always killed the prophets. He does not hold out the gospel there to them in Acts chapter 7. Very interesting. And that's what leads him to be stoned. It's what leads him to be killed. It's what leads him to suffer and to die for the sake of God, even though he simply said to them, you stiff-necked people. Again, it's difficult to determine. Certainly someone who is harsh Someone who is hostile, someone who's not just coming in to you know learn. They're coming in to teach, or coming in to rail, or coming in to uh, cause a ruckus in the church. There are many men like that, and without making a value judgment, but perhaps the men who are here two years ago, coming into the church, sitting right there, and they only came in here for that reason. They didn't want to be listened. They didn't want to listen. I've read more about them, actually, and they do this in every church. You know what they do? They go to churches and they stand at the back and rail against ladies with what they're wearing. They stand at the back and they they shout, you know, spew forth vile things concerning women and spew forth vile things concerning the Trinity. That's why it was good. The men all got up, boom, they're gone. Again, perhaps that could be an example that we experienced many years ago or two years ago. But again, it's very hard in time and space. So hostile, they hate it. They don't want to be near. Uh, they don't, uh, they, they're not uh, able to be reasoned with concerning the truth. And so we must not give ho- to holy, uh, what is holy to the dogs or cast our pearls before swine. That's why wisdom is very much needed, isn't it? Evangelism, we believe evangelism is important, but there are some times we are not supposed to waste our time. I hate to say it like that, but that's exactly what he's saying here, isn't he? We must be discerning. We must be careful. And even too, when it comes to evangelism, in 1 Peter 3, be ready to give an answer. We don't always have to be out there on the street or uh, you know, on the side of the road. If you want to do that, that's perfectly fine. But we don't always have to do that but be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you. And as we seek to share the gospel, I'm not saying we shouldn't share the gospel with others, by the way, just saying we must be discerning when the appropriate time is. And when it's the appropriate person to whom we share that gospel with, we need God's wisdom. We need God's mercy. We need God's grace. And we must do so with kindness and humility and even, uh, and even uh, still with firmness as perhaps we deal with certain things, So we must remember that, brethren, judge not does not mean you can never make an assessment or a judgment based on who you are dealing with. We are just not supposed to be harsh and judgmental, harsh and condemnatory as we do such things, because we must remember, above all, we are forgiven in Christ. Above all, we have found mercy from the Lord of glory. We found mercy from the one to whom we've really sinned against. There is mercy and forgiveness in him because your righteousness cannot exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And really, the whole book is the whole Sermon on the Mount is to point out that the scribes and Pharisees do not have a righteousness that is worthy of being before the Lord in heaven that only comes in christ that's again what i think one of the purposes or one of the what i think is one of the purposes of the sermon on the mount to drive us to christ because we are judgmental we do worry we do religious things for our own gain we do religious things to be seen by others we do not pray as we ought we do not seek first the kingdom of god we really are not merciful And the Beatitudes are poor in spirit as we ought to be. That's why there is mercy and forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. Forgiveness for our self-righteousness. Forgiveness for our hypocrisy. And brethren, again, as we walk this world, look to him. If you are in Christ, look to him. If you are in the Lord, trust in him. If you are in the Lord, know that you are forgiven in him. And by his power, and by his spirit, seek to judge not that you may not be judged. And if you're an unbeliever here today, you've probably made character assessments and been just as judgmental as Christians are. But the difference is a Christian's judgmentalism is forgiven in in Jesus Christ. But you can find forgiveness too. Believe upon him, you shall be saved. Believe upon him, you shall find mercy. Believe upon one who is righteous in every way, and you shall find forgiveness for your sins. Well, let us pray. Lord, our God, thank you that Christ is the just judge. And we're thankful that when we go to that judgment, we shall be judged, not based on our own righteousness, but based on Christ's. Thank you that we are accepted in the beloved. Thank you for your mercy that abounds towards us in all grace and kindness. Thank you, oh God, for your forgiveness that you give to us day by day, and even the forgiveness, the eternal forgiveness of our sins in the blessed work of our Lord. And thank you that as we make our way to that celestial city, even as we still struggle with remaining corruption and still struggle with hypocrisy and judge mentalism and pharisaism, we pray, oh God, that you'd forgive us. Forgive our hearts. Wash us afresh in the blood of Christ. Help us to know that we need you day by day. Blot out our transgressions, we pray. Create in us clean hearts and renew a right spirit within us, we pray. And we know, oh God, that you you desire a contrite heart and a broken spirit. These you will not despise. And so we pray, oh God, that you would humble us. We pray, oh God, that you would break us. And even if it is difficult, even if it is harsh, even if it is a struggle for us, oh God, help us to know our sins. Help us to know the the sins we still struggle with, but help us to find mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to know day by day how much we need you. Help us to know how often we fall short, but how great and merciful you are to us. So may we praise you and honor you in our lives. May we praise you and honor you with our worship. And we pray, O oh God, if there are any here today who do not know you, we pray that you would save their souls. We pray, O oh God, that they would not be judged in their own so-called righteousness. We pray, O oh God, that they would find mercy and forgiveness in Christ, that they would be judged being clothed in his righteousness. And we know, O oh God, this is only something you can do. It is a supernatural work that you engage in for your glory. And we pray, O oh God, that you'd be pleased to save sinners this day. And we pray in all things, you'd be glorified. Give us grace, give us mercy, give us discernment, we pray as we go into the world. And we pray these things in the name of Christ, amen.